I won't be offended very much. Um, <laughs> no, really. If you need to go, feel free. Uh, thank you so much. What a blessing the service has been. I've just been delighted to be part of it. And thank you, Monica. It was really great. And I know that your staff is so grateful to be able to serve you uh, in the many ways that, that we are allowed to. And it really is a joy to be here, to be part of this church from this perspective. And uh, we just are thankful to you. Uh, thanks for being a great church. Um, I uh, once got in a car with a friend of mine, and we were heading to Southern California. And we decided we had a little extra time, so we're going to go down 101 and take a little bit more scenic route. It takes a little longer, but we're heading that way. And so we, we get in our car, and we go across the Golden Gate Bridge. And then we uh, keep driving. We pass the airport and Palo Alto. And then we begin to see signs for Milpitas, and that was interesting. And then all of a sudden, there was signs for Hayward. I thought, Hayward? That seems weird. And then we began to see the next exits for Oakland. And I said, I don't think we're in the right place at all. And so we pulled over and uh, we pulled out one of my favorite inventions, my little pocket computer. And um, what, uh, what we decided to do was, of course, to look at our maps. So many things are great about these phones, but maps are, for me, one of the great blessings of life. And um, I use it and need it more often than I would like. Uh, but uh, there are occasions where I find myself not knowing where I am. And I know where I need to be. And so my map in my phone helps me know not just where I am, but how to get where I need to be. Do you like maps? Aren't you grateful on those occasions when you need them that they can help guide you? Uh, 500 years ago, the Reformers stood and realized that they began to wonder where in the world have, where are we in the way that we're worshiping God? How did we get to this place? And how might we return and recenter ourselves on a, a more biblical faith expression where Christ is at the center and trying to reel, reel back in some ways to say we want to try as best we can to reconnect ourselves to the original thought of Scripture and to those early church movements and to have a church that more resembles that reality than what it has become to this point. And so the Reformers began to, to do um, talk with themselves, talk with others, and the Reformation came into being. And it was really, they began to say biblically, God has a GPS. The Bible tells us God's plan for salvation. It is the way that the way that God tells us where we are as human people and what is wrong and causes the problems that we face personally, globally. It tells us the root of those problems and then it provides the solution for that most critical of problems and what separates us from God. But here's the rub, is that uh, if God provides everything that we need for our salvation, we can, on the one hand, we rejoice delightedly because God has done it all. But on the other hand, it is difficult for many of us to think that I cannot contribute anything of value into God's saving work and God bringing me together with Himself. Because let's face it, we are people who are brought up in a culture of earning. 
right? We go to school and students are taught, they know very well uh, that they are to earn their grade. They have to work hard for it. They get certain marks for reading and attendance and uh, even extra credit on exams. You, you work to earn those things. Uh, children, how many of you have ever pulled out a, an iPhone or a, a tablet and played a game on that? And how many of those games do you earn credit in order to go on to the next phase of the game, right? That's how so many of our games are set up and arranged. We, we go and we earn credit so that we can move on to the next phase. We know it relationally. We know what it is to earn credit with people in, in the way that we're kind to them. And, and we know that that builds credit. We know it at work, adults. When you, you work and you earn credit with your boss, right, by going above and beyond, and, and we know how that part of life is. And when we take that reality of earning and we try to take it into the theological realm, and what does earning mean in my relationship with God? And so often we have difficulty separating the thought that God has done everything for us for our salvation. Let's say it. I want you to say this word with me if you would. The word everything. God has done everything. What has He done? Everything. Are you telling me God has done everything I need? Are you telling me that? You're right. God has done everything for my salvation. I cannot add a single thing of value to it because He has done everything. But when we grow up in an earning culture, it's difficult to think, oh, you mean I can't bring anything? No. You mean I can't add and supplement to what God has already done in Christ? No. You cannot add anything. And that is our theme for the day. It is by faith alone in what Jesus has done for us that we can have the hope of God's blessing and salvation in our lives. We must learn to rely, not just learn, we have to come to a place of understanding that we rely completely and only on the finished work of Jesus for salvation to be ours by faith alone. Open your Bibles with me, would you, to Romans chapter 1. I wanted to begin last week to kick off this series through October with uh, thinking about the Bible and Scripture and why the Scripture is our sole authority. When, when we have questions of, about our religious practice, our uh, worship practice, we always come ultimately to the Scripture. It's not personal opinions. We allow the Scripture to be the authority over our lives. Today it's really important that I wanted us to focus on this idea of coming into a relationship with God is our reliance completely through our faith, not faith in myself, not faith in yourself, not that you can be so successful, but it is total reliance upon what Jesus has done. Faith in Christ. Here, these are two verses that were so important in shaping the early thought of Martin Luther in the Reformation. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church that gathered in the city of Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, 
The righteous will live by faith. The gospel, this says, is God's power of salvation. God's GPS, God's power of salvation. It tells us where you are, human person, in relation to God and what God has done for you. And He has done everything that you need. We need a rescue from sin. But we might say on occasion, is sin really, really that big of a deal? I mean, I hear about it only in church. (laughs) I hear about it from the Bible. But is it really that big of a deal? That's a great question. You might say, "I, I know I'm not perfect in everything, but I mean, come on. Sin, is it really that big of a deal? And I want you to know what the Bible says about sin. Because if we don't get sin right, we can't understand the wonderful gift that God has done in Christ. Here's what the Bible says about sin. Is that the Christian faith has zero, hold up a zero, it has zero value. If, in fact, Jesus has not come in history into the earth, and died and rose again from the dead. If that has not happened, then the Christian faith has zero value. Ah, yeah, you might learn a little bit of morals and some good behavior, but it means nothing. The Bible says as much. Why did Jesus come and die? The answer is for our sin. For my sin and for your sin. Sin is that serious that Jesus' death was required if God's gift was to be unleashed and made available to us. Sin is a rebellion against God. Now, I know in the Bay Area over the last 30, 40 years, sometimes when you hear the word rebellion, if your mind is like mine, it kind of goes to Star Wars narrative. Right? You know, the picture of Star Wars, you have this, uh, this corrupt empire and uh, a corrupting, uh, corruption-laden uh, uh, emperor, and it's everything bad, and this rebellion develops to throw off the oppression of the emperor, right? We think sometimes rebellion is this really great thing, but not biblically. When the Bible describes rebellion, it is describing our rejection of God. It is saying God deserves to be in this place and we have moved Him aside and put ourselves in that place. That is the rejection of God. And the Bible says every one of us, starting with me, has rebelled against God. We've rejected Him. But that's not the end of the story. It never is. It's good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news because even though you and I have rebelled and rejected God, He still, out of His love, pursues us. Here's what the Bible says. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. The righteous will live by faith. So, for everyone who believes, believes what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It is God's power for salvation. Well, what does that mean more precisely? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, this is the gospel message. That Jesus came in the flesh. That He died a real death. 
And it wasn't just a martyr's death. It wasn't by accident. It was on purpose so that our problem of sin could be taken into Him. He could smother it and absorb it and that it would not affect and impact your life eternally any longer. He came, He died, and He rose again. That is the Gospel. I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. God's plan of salvation is to make you right through faith, to make you right with Him. Here here was the issue facing the Reformers and why this became so significant because it's important because we, we operate. Sometimes you might come into a worship service like this, and especially if you grew up Baptist or otherwise Protestant, maybe you don't really think every Sunday about why we do certain things in our worship services, but the Reformation is so important in helping understand why we do certain things and not do other things. Medieval theology, they viewed how to be in a good standing with God as a problem of, of personal being that needed healing. And here was the image. The image was of the hospital. And just like you might go to the hospital with a particular disease and, and you go and, and you get nurtured with medicine and over a period of time, that which you don't need is pushed out of your body and that which you do need is brought in. Health is restored, but it takes a long time. It's kind of like this drip line. In medieval theology, often the thought was, is if, if I just position myself and allow God to drip into me, that somewhere over time, I will be justified. I will have moved into a right relationship with Him. But I have to combine what God has done also with my good deeds. I have to take good works, and I have to bring the two of them together, and I take the work of Jesus, and then what I do, and somehow together... I earn the credits, right? Back to our earning idea. I'm able to build up and earn the credits I need so that God will say, you son, you daughter, you are now my child. But here's the problem, is that how do we ever know if we've earned enough credit? We don't. But medieval theology said this, well, that's really not a problem. In fact, most people, when they die, they haven't earned enough. So now they move into purgatory. And it's through purgatory over hundreds or thousands of years that the sin gets washed out and the grace of God comes in slowly like that drip line, that drip IV, spiritual IV, slowly over a long period of time, they become right with God. And then all sorts of other things began to develop around that idea of purgatory. People began to pray for those who had died, praying that God would... Uh, somehow receive their prayers and that those prayers would be credited to those who had died to help push them out of purgatory and on into fullness of life with God. Certain services, church services would gather and the grace and the, the credits built up out of those services would be offered on behalf of those who had died. And then you eventually got to be able to pay money to help usher people out of purgatory. And that was really what really set Martin Luther off against these, these ideas that were called indulgences. And there was one particular man named Johann Tetzel in Germany that he had an expression. He would come to town and he would say, don't you hear your dead loved ones crying in agony in purgatory? You can help them. You can help give credit to push them out of purgatory into heaven. 
if you would just put some money in this box. You see how it really declined over time. And in fact, he had a slogan. He said, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Boy, when Martin Luther and other reformers, as they began to read the Scripture, they said, this is not what the Bible teaches us. This is not the clear early centering around Jesus and the Gospel. And so they worked to teach and to uh, challenge these thoughts and to bring about a, a reform early in the Catholic Church that ended up moving on to the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, so that early image in medieval theology, and we're, we're moving toward wrapping up. Uh, that early image was of the hospital. Martin Luther and other reformers, he helped change the image to more of a courtroom setting. Because they said, as we read Scripture, the idea of God justifying us, making us right with Him, is not like some spiritual drip line where it happens slowly over our lifetime and we blend it with our works and the work of Jesus and somehow we hope it all comes out right at the end. No, no. They said, we, our understanding of the Scripture is different. And it's like God is the judge in the courtroom of your life and my life. And it is God who has the ability as the judge, even though the accusations of sin are true for you and me, that God is the judge. He can stand up in the middle of the proceedings and He can hit the gavel and He can say, I declare you righteous. I declare you clean. I declare you from this day forward as my son or my daughter. It is a declaration. If you like theological terms, it's the idea that, that God's justification is imputed to us, not imparted to us. Impartation is this idea of slow infusion. Imputation of God's justification, again, if you like theological terms, is the declaration where when you, by faith, you receive and accept the work that Jesus has done, the finished work. You remember the last words Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. The work is finished. Your relationship with God does not hinge on your ability to do enough good things and thank God that it doesn't. But you can rest assured when you have received the work of Jesus on the cross that God says like that judge, I declare you to be righteous because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that such good news? My goodness, if, if you think today that you have to somehow muster up at least a little bit of good works indeed, so that God, just in case Jesus' work isn't enough, that whatever good you might be able to offer God, it will help supplement. It will be sort of extra credit on the exam. That's not the way. And you walk through life with a terrible burden wrapped around your neck. Jesus has come to remove the burden. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why would He say that? It's because we don't have to work at earning God's love, at earning His forgiveness. You never could do it. I never could do it. And it's a terrible weight to carry. That's why the Gospel is good news. Because that is never intended to be the burden that you carry. 
It is the burden that is placed on Jesus, and He is the one who redeems us because of His grace. It is by grace through our faith and acceptance alone of what Jesus has done on our behalf. When God as judge says, I declare you righteous, it is our status before Him that is changing. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of verses here. We're going to come back in two weeks' time. We're going to look more specifically at these two, uh, these couple of verses here. But here's what the Bible says. So our status has changed, right? Ephesians 2, chap- uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Here's what Paul says. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There is nothing that you can add to what God has done in His finished work in Jesus. It is finished. I hope, my friends, brothers and sisters, that in your heart there is a hallelujah welling up within you. Praise God. Praise God for doing what I most desperately need and what I could never do for myself. Praise God. God. Can you say it with me? Praise God. Praise God. This is the gospel. This is why it's good news. This is why the gospel is always the center of a biblical church. There's nothing else we aim at. There's nothing else we welcome. It is the gospel because it is God's good news for you. For you. It is the gift of God through faith. And then... After God has declared us righteous, after God has said you are justified, then there's spiritual growth to be done. Then we engage ourselves in spiritual disciplines so that over the course of our life we learn and grow and see the the person of Jesus formed more and more in us. But it's not before. That's the work that comes after God declaring you and me right with Him. Here's what it says. Ephesians 2.8 9 and 10. Listen again. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the good works of our lives follow trail behind the saving work of God in Christ Jesus. I hope this is making sense to somebody. Now, nothing, nothing matters more than the justification God offers in Christ through faith alone. Hear it again. God, God is committed to judging sin. And that means He is committed to judging my sin. He is committed to judging your sin. Is the gospel sounding like good news? (laughs) This is our biggest problem because it means an eternity excluded from the glory of God. But in comes the gospel, the good news that you don't have to work for God's favor. 
You don't have to earn enough credits that it somehow blends with what Jesus has done. No, 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 no. That's a terrible burden to carry through your life. God wants to relieve you of that burden and He offers you the gift of salvation and a relationship with Himself through faith. It's your accepting of what Jesus has done on your behalf. I want to wrap up with a few sentences from Charles Spurgeon, the well-known British preacher. Here's what he says about this idea of justification. The way of reaching this state of justification, it's not by tears. Okay, Sorrow alone won't get you there. Nor is it by praying enough. Nor is it humblings, not working, nor Bible reading, nor church going, nor chapel going, nor sacraments, nor priestly absolution, but by faith. Which faith is a simple and utter dependence and believing in the faithfulness of God? A dependence upon the promise of God because it is God's promise and is worthy of dependence. That's a good quote. I'll email it to you if you ask me for it. It's good to to think about it. I know I've said a lot of words today, but I hope God's Spirit has taken them into your heart and that God has spoken His Word of grace and His Word of rescue and His Word of salvation. It is the Gospel. A Gospel that we are not to be ashamed of because it is God's plan of salvation to remind us of where we are and to remind us of where God is taking us, which is where we need to be. Living God, we thank You this day for the Gospel. God, we can't think about the Gospel rightly without smiling and rejoicing, even standing up and dancing, because it is delightful. And God, we want to reject the idea that somehow we have to earn enough credits to make sure that we can get into Your good graces. God, we want to lay that idea down And we, by faith, help us to receive the gift that You offer to us, and thereby You declare us right with You. And that then opens the door for a lifetime of spiritual growth and learning and delighting in You, being part of Your church family, committed to one another as we are committed to You. Teach us these things. Hold these well and clearly before us so that we can respond with a resounding yes. Not not a heart of rebellion or rejection towards You, but one of embrace. Saying thank You. Thank You, God, for Your gift of the Gospel. The finished work of Jesus. By faith alone, we receive it. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing our last song together. We're just going to sing the first two verses. And if today you don't know really what I'm even talking about, but you're interested.